This evening we're turning in God's Word to Isaiah 65, please. So Isaiah 65, and we'll commence our reading of verse 1. We'll read through to verse 7. So Isaiah 65. And we will read from verse 1. So let's hear the word of our God. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands all the day unto rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoked me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificed in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh, and broth of abominable things is in their vessels, which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense even recompense into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains, and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work into their bosom. Amen. And we'll end our reading at verse 7. And once again, we'll just take a few moments and look to the Lord in a word of prayer. God's people praying along. The Lord will give power in the delivery of the word that he has given. Let's pray. Our gracious God and eternal loving Father, once again it has been our privilege to read the word of our God. We thank the Lord that thou has given us this revelation of thyself of thy purposes, thy will, thine intent. We thank thee, O Heavenly Father, now for the privilege to preach the word. And Lord, I stand as ever as a candidate for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I pray that you will wash me in the Savior's blood, fill me with the Spirit. Lord, that I might be a vessel, to be a channel, O God, that, Lord, it would not stop at me, the word that thou hast given. thought about that the other night. You give the word. You impress it upon the heart that it might be given unto others. Lord, I pray that you will give me utterance in the Holy Ghost. Help me to open my mouth boldly that I might make known the mysteries of the gospel. I pray, O God, that you would open the hearts and the minds of those who sit amongst us who are not saved, that the Holy Ghost will come now and there will be a stillness that will come over this gallery. Stillness that maybe individuals have not known nor felt before, that thou would rivet them to the word, that holy fear and trembling will come to their soul, that thou would settle them down, and Lord, that they would realize that they're in the presence of a thrice holy God. Lord, come and work, we ask of thee, and we pray, O God, that thou be pleased to save the lost. For this I pray in Jesus' name. And pray it with a single eye to his and thine everlasting praise and glory. Amen. In the Bible we have the lamentations of Jeremiah. And we also have the lamentations of the prophet Isaiah. 
And the cause of the both is the same. The destruction of Jerusalem by the Chaldeans, the captivity of the people, and the sin of Israel which brought those things about. However, there was a difference. Jeremiah, he saw those things accomplished. Isaiah only ever saw them at a distance by the spirit of prophecy because he was a pre-exilic prophet. Towards the end of chapter 64, Isaiah, he prays with prophetic foresight as if the destruction of Jerusalem had happened. In verse 10, he says these words in chapter 64, Thy holy cities are a wilderness, Zion is a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers praised, he is burnt up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Then in verse 10, a broken-hearted prophet, he asks the Lord, Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? Isaiah, he wanted to know what would happen. He wanted to know the plans of the Lord for future days. And chapter 65 and 66 are the Lord's answer. In grace, he makes known his mind and his will, uh, known unto the prophet who in turn would make the people to know these things. The Lord does not leave Isaiah hanging, as it were, as without hope and without a revelation of what was to come. And these two final chapters of Isaiah's prophecy, they reveal to us a number of things, God's intention for his enemies and for his people. These chapters tell us of the final judgment. They speak of future days, not only the days that will come after the prophet Isaiah, but also the future days of the eternal state, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and where the former things would be remembered no more. They reveal to us also the purposes of God concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. And that is very much seen in the opening seven verses of chapter 65. Now, there are varying interpretations on who is being spoken about in verses 1 and 2. But the Apostle Paul, whom Matthew Henry calls a, an expositor worthy to be trusted, he gives us the explanation in the book of Romans. Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. In verse 1, we have a reference to the calling in of the Gentiles, a time when the way of salvation would be made known among the nations of the world. The dispensation of the covenant of grace through all the types and the shadows was really confined to the nation of Israel. But there would come a time when the message of God's redeeming grace would be spread among the nations when the Messiah would come and fulfill all that was spoken of concerning him. It was always God's intention to bless the nations of the world. The covenant that he made with Abraham makes that clear. Genesis 22, the verses 17 and 18, and it tells us there at the end of verse 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And once again, we turn to the Apostle Paul and we learn that the seed mentioned there is Christ himself. There are those that would suggest that the gospel going to the Gentiles was really plan B. That it was not God's intention, but that it really only happened 
because the Jews rejected Christ at his first coming. But prophecy teaches us that Christ was to be rejected. This was not something that took God by surprise. You know, that type of teaching, well, it introduces and it brings a problem of a dichotomy or a division between the Jew and the Gentile, Israel and the church. That there is a purpose for one and that there is another purpose for the other. But once again, Paul, the trusted expositor, in Ephesians chapter 2, and we heard about it this morning, and I actually thought the Reverend Greer was going to steal my introduction, but God and the gospel has made both one in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. They are, and they both partake of the same covenant and of the same promise, the promise of salvation by grace alone and all the benefits that flow from it. The chapters 65 and 66, as I said, are God's response to the prophet, his plea for mercy, which really begins in chapter 63 in the verse 15. And in the opening seven verses of chapter 65, it is the mercy of God that is very much in view. And I want to focus our attention on these verses this evening. I have entitled my message, Mercy Obtained, Disdained, and Refrained. Mercy Obtained, Disdained, and Refrained. Firstly, consider with me, Mercy Obtained. Look at verse 1 in this chapter. The Lord is speaking. And this is how he answers the prophet Isaiah. He says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. Now, as I mentioned, this verse has got to do with the calling in of the Gentiles, as the Apostle Paul points out for us. Now, we are not to think that before Christ came, that no Gentiles were ever saved. That is not the case. We could think of individuals like Ruth or Rahab, or we could think of groups of people like those who inhabited that great city of Nineveh. But here the Lord was telling Isaiah that he would bestow his mercy onto a nation that was not called by his name. The gospel would be spread beyond the confines of the nation of Israel with greater liberality and clarity than was ever known before. Now, in applying this verse in the gospel, this verse concerning Gentiles, we notice the condition of those who obtain mercy. You see, many times this type of language, a nation that was not called by my name, it's used in the Old Testament to refer to those with no formal identification or relationship with the Lord people who had not been given the oracles of God, people unto whom the institution of the priesthood was not committed, or the instruction concerning the Levitical sacrifices or the feasts of the Lord. This speaks of a people who were estranged from God, who were ignorant of God, and that is really the case of all by nature. You see, it is sin that separates man from God. And it is sin that blinds man to the true knowledge of God. And that was even the case for the Jews. For while they're monotheists, they fail to grasp that great doctrine 
of the Trinity. But the condition of estrangement and ignorance is amplified among the heathen nations, for they had not the special revelation which the Hebrews had. Now, they did have the revelation of nature. But that revelation is insufficient to teach man about God's way of salvation or how a man can be justified in the sight of God. They did not have that. They were individuals, the heathen nations, who fashioned their own gods and invented their own way in which salvation is to be achieved. In the darkness of sin, they did not seek after the true and the living God, and that's still the case with sinful man today. The sinner, him or herself, left to themselves, they will not seek after God. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They do not gravitate to the light of God's Word, but rather they are drawn to the darkness of this world. It is the environment with which they are comfortable, being children of the darkness. Those individuals, they remain unreconciled to God, and they have no relationship with Him. The Lord was telling Isaiah here, that there would be a time when these individuals who are unreconciled, who are estranged, who are ignorant of Him, there would be coming a time that He would make Himself known unto them. And if He had not done this, they would have never come to the knowledge of the truth. He says here, I am found, or I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. See, they could not find Him. They could not come to Him except He first came to them and except He first found them. And there we see the truth that God is the initiator of salvation. It is God who makes Himself known to those who do not inquire after Him. And you know there's many examples of this in the New Testament of the Lord's mercy being actively extended to those who are not actively seeking after Him, of those who find Him only because He first found them. You think of Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom. There he is, going about his daily employment. And it was the Lord Jesus that passed by that way. It was the Lord that stopped with him. It was the Lord that called him. It was the Lord that said to him, follow me. Matthew found the Lord because the Lord first found Matthew. It's the same with Saul of Tarsus, traveling along that road to Damascus, not actively seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet the Lord was actively seeking him. And the Lord called unto him from heaven, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It was the Lord that apprehended him. It was the Lord that intervened in his life. It was the Lord that first found Saul in order that Saul might find him. And that is the case with every child of God. We have obtained mercy. It is he who has sought us. It is he who has made himself known unto us. He found me, and in that I find him. Do you know, that leads us on then to consider the rest of verse 1. For we don't only have the condition of those who obtain mercy and ignorance, unreconciled, not actively seeking for Him, estranged from God, but we also have the calling of those who obtain mercy. 
Verse 1 goes on to say, the Lord is speaking. He says, I said, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. See, God calls out to sinners. To what? To look to Him. Earlier on in this book, in Isaiah 45, in the verse 22, is not what He said. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Look to Him. You need a number of times. A number of times when men were called to behold Christ in the New Testament. John the Baptist one day sees the Lord Jesus walking towards him. And what does he cry out? Behold, look. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Or think about Pilate as he brought Christ before the great multitude. And he cried, Behold the man. Behold the Lamb. Behold the man. God made himself known unto sinful man in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have seen him, those who have looked to him, they have seen the Father. You know, when we look to Christ, we see the love, the grace, the mercy, the wisdom, the power, the righteousness of God made manifest. We see in Christ the only way for sinners to be delivered from their sin. And that's what you're to do tonight, sinner. You are to behold. As the Lord says, behold me, behold me, not the preacher, but the Lord himself in the person of his Son. How is it that we are to behold Christ? See, in Matthew's case, the Lord came personally and physically to him. In Saul's case, he, he saw that great light shine from heaven, but what about today? How do we behold Christ today? How do we hear the call of Christ today? Well, it's through the preaching of the Word. That's the means you behold Christ. That's the way you hear His call. That's what we read at the start of the service this evening from Romans chapter 10. We heard about that this morning. Christ, He came and preached peace. And through His servants, through His ambassadors, He preaches, He calls on men and women to behold Him, to look to Him. That's what He's doing this evening. You see, you maybe came tonight, you had no intention of seeking the Lord. And this is what this verse tells us, verse 1, I am sought of them that ask not for me. And you came tonight and there was no inquiry in your heart after God. And you had no intention, no intention of getting saved, no intention of listening to the message. But the Lord is seeking you. He's inquiring of you. He's asking those deep searching questions of your heart through the mercy of God. And that dear sinner is His mercy. That is His long-suffering and His loving-kindness to place you under the preaching of the Word. For how can you believe in Him of whom you have not heard? You must hear about Christ if you're to believe in Him. You know, the Apostle Peter, he speaks about those or the obtaining of this mercy by a people who were estranged from God. His first epistle, chapter 2, in the verse 10, he says, Of these people who have obtained mercy, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now 
have obtained mercy. Oh, sinner, that tonight you would obtain mercy. That you would be saved. You see, you can't attain salvation. It is not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Oh, that you would hear and that you would heed His call in the preaching of the gospel. That the scales of your darkened understanding would fall from your eyes and that you would behold a beauty in Christ that you have never seen before, that you might obtain mercy. Mercy obtained. But secondly, this evening, mercy disdained. Mercy disdained. The Lord, in verse 2, He then speaks about the Jews. People so blessed with the Lord's special favor and revelation and common grace. And this is what he says of the Jews of Isaiah's day. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people. And the spreading out of the hands or the stretching forth of the hands, it it speaks of an invitation, of an entreaty by the Lord for the Jews of that day to come to Him for mercy and for forgiveness. Proverbs 1, we have the same language used. Verse 23, the Lord says this, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. The Lord Jesus, under a different analogy, of the mother hen stretching out her wings, lays the same charge to the Jews in his day the day of his visitation to them. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them sent unto thee, how oft I would have gathered thee as a chicken or as thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. See, just as we stretch out our arms, hold them forth, to a little child to come to us so with tenderness and compassion. The Lord bid His ancient people to come to Him and find comfort and protection, but they would not. They refused. They were rebellious. They disdained the mercy that the Lord had offered to them. See, once again, in applying this verse, verse 2 in the gospel, the Jews, they represent us or represent to us those who have had much gospel privilege, who have had many invitations extended to them or entreaties, numerous entreaties from the Lord given to them and who have not yet been saved, who are ignorant of the way of salvation and who have refused His call. They have disdained the Lord's mercy. And I wonder, does that describe you this evening? You disdain it. God has called. God has invited. God has entreated. And yet His mercy is still spurned. 
Now concerning many of the Jews living at the time of Isaiah, the Lord goes on to describe the evidence of the rebellion and the reason why they would face judgment. And we notice in their description, their walk, their works, and their words. And these things are true and are seen in the lives of those who still today spurn and disdain the mercy of God. Look at their walk. Look at verse 2. The Lord goes on to say of them, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. The way of the rebellious is not good chiefly for two reasons. Firstly, it's a way that dishonors God. It's a way of wickedness and sinfulness. In Isaiah 35, in the verse 8, we read of another way. It's a way of holiness, a way which the unclean do not walk upon. It's a pathway for the redeemed and the ransomed of the Lord. But if we go back a few chapters to chapter 59, we have a contrasting way set before us. Isaiah 59, in the verses 7 and 8. And here we have a contrasting way. It tells us there, their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths, the way of peace. They know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. That's their way. That's their walk. No judgment, no discernment. Just plundering on, doing what they will. And the way of peace they shall not know. I ask you this evening, are you walking the way of holiness? Are you walking in paths of righteousness for the Lord's sake? Well then, if not... The second reason why the way of the rebellious is not good should trouble you because of where that way leads to. The way of holiness, Isaiah 35, it leads to Zion. But the way of the rebel, it leads to eternal destruction. Isn't that what we read in Proverbs 14, verse 12? There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends are off, or the ways of death. The sinful man walks after his own thoughts. He does what he thinks to be right, and yet the Lord tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts. They were a people who had contempt for the revealed will of God, and they demonstrated by how they walked through life in uncleanness and wickedness. But also notice their works. The rebellion is signified not only by their walk, but their works. Let's read verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 65. It tells us there about a people that provoketh the Lord to anger continually to his face that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments where each swine's flesh and broth of abominable things is in their vessels. Now there's so much to unpack here concerning Israel's open defiance concerning the commands of the Lord and how they were to worship Him. 
They were sacrificing in their own gardens. God had told them that they were to sacrifice at the temple. Every man had his own grove, had his own shrine and his own house where he thought he could worship God in his own way and make his approach to God however he thought he could do. It also tells us here that they were burning incense upon those altars which filled the land, altars that were made of brick. And again, that was another infraction for God's altar was to be made with the the raw natural stone, not with brick. But why did they fashion their brick? Because they wanted their altars to resemble the pagan altars of the nations round about them. They wanted to worship God as the nations round about them did. It tells us that they went among the graves and lodged among the monuments. What does that mean? They consulted with the dead. They were more interested in the realm of the darkness and the death with which resembled that which was in their own hearts. They practiced necromancy. And that was explicitly prohibited by the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Oh, they wanted counsel. They wanted instruction. And they wanted direction. But they did not seek it from the Lord, but from the dead. How many multitudes are running to the horoscopes to find direction for their life? How much is this world and our nation not infatuated with those things that tend to death and not those things that tend to life? Go around our country. And if you have time, drop invitations in through doors in the states of our town and you will see the infatuation with the vestiges of death and the occult. And that is exactly what Israel was doing. They disdained the mercy of God who revealed to them the truth, the only way. Protestant Ulster. Houses decorated with all the occultic things of this world. An infatuation with that which tends to death. But look what else they were eating, that which was forbidden by God, swine's flesh. In other words, they were consuming that which was unclean. Is not what is happening? The consumption of the unclean through the eye and the ear gate that knows no end. Men are greedily taking to themselves all the filth of the day, all the things that God has prohibited and forbidden, but also they were drinking abominable things in their broths. And that's thought to be alcoholic drink. They were ingesting those things that were destroying them. And it's not like many today. They're injecting, they're inhaling, they're drinking, that which is destroying them. Oh, they think, well, a little vape, a little vape, that's not like a cigarette. 
It's destroying your body. And that's what they were doing. They had abominable things in their broths. They were taking drugs. That's what they were doing. Hallucinogens from the natural resources round about them doing exactly what men and women do today, disdaining the mercy of God, spurning it. That's what they were doing. These were the marks of a rebellious people who had spurned the mercy of God, who had turned their back on Him. But what about you tonight? What about you? Are the good works which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them, are they evident in your life, or is it the works of the flesh? See, if these works describe you, it's an evidence of your contempt for the mercy of God. There's their walk, their works, and there's also their words. Look at verse 5, Isaiah 65, which says, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. One preacher of old said, Sin is slain as thousands, but self-righteousness its ten tens of thousands. These were a people who even though their walk and their works did not please God, they thought, they thought that they were in no need of a justifying righteousness. They thought they were holy. They thought they were good enough. They thought that they were better than others. But they weren't separated by God unto salvation. Rather, they had set themselves apart as it teaches us there. Stand by thyself, come not near to me. He thought that they were in class, in a class untouchable, maybe because of their privilege or their heritage or their knowledge. They thought that they were okay. Pharisaical in nature. The Pharisees being the main protagonists in the Savior's day, always opposing it. Put much emphasis upon observing the law and yet knew nothing of grace. And they failed to see their own shortcomings for all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You know, self-righteousness can take many forms. It can. From the extreme of legalistic religionists to the apathetic irreligious who says, I'm okay. That's a form of self-righteousness. I wonder tonight, do you see your need of a perfect righteousness? Because that's what you need to enter heaven. How often the Lord sent messengers unto these people. How often He rescued them and intervened in their history. And yet they still refused His stretched out hand. And was it that they were presuming on the mercy of God? I wonder are you presuming on the mercy of God? As long-suffering. I've used this quote from Puritan Thomas Watson before, but it's very applicable and appropriate to our text. And he says this, Take heed of abusing God's mercy. 
To sin because mercy abounds is the devil's logic. He that sins because of God's mercy shall have judgment without mercy. And that leads me on to my last point this evening. Mercy refrained. Mercy obtained, mercy disdained, and mercy refrained. You see, mercy would come to an end. These Jews of Isaiah's day, and that's what the Lord was teaching there. There would come a time when God's mercy would be withheld and the invitation would be no longer given. For those individuals, there was a smoke in the nose of God. And this struck me. It wasn't that their sins were a smoke in the nostrils of God, but they, they who committed those sins were a smoke in the nostrils of God. Do you think how offensive it would be if someone come up to you who was smoking a cigarette and they blew that smoke in your face? How offensive that is. Well, sinner, that's the offensiveness which God views you. You offend God. And every day the fury of His wrath is kindled by your sin and someday, someday that will consume you, that fury, if you are not saved. You see, all the outward show that these people were putting on, it didn't fool God. They were not holy. They were rebellious. And God would judge them for their sin. And that's what He tells them in verses 6 and 7. Let's look at those verses. The Lord says, Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosoms. God had been silent towards these people, but you know, He would break His silence by declaring a sentence upon them that would be just and right. Oh, God's been silent to you. Things have been trundling along all right in your life, but someday God will break His silence. God will recompense your sin with appropriate wages. See, the Lord says they would personally bear the punishment for their sin. It would come into their bosom. The fire of God's wrath that had been kindled would burn in their soul. An unquenchable fire. The Lord, His judgment is always according to righteousness. They would be judged according to their iniquities. He would bring the undeniable evidence before them. That's what he says, verse 6, Behold, it's, it's written before me all these things that those Jews did who disdained the mercy of God. It was all written before the Lord. Nothing was hid from Him. And having sinned against great mercy, they would be punished in great measure. You know, that principle is taught by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. For example, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 24, the greater the mercy spurned, the sore the punishment faced. You know, a lot of people think that God only exercises His wrath 
when he finally casts someone into hell. But it is as much a judgment for God to exercise his wrath in passing by a people. And that's what he would do here for Israel. He would, generally speaking, pass them by as a people because of their continued rebellion and ultimately for crucifying his son. The Lord would pass them by. And he would, as he planned, send the gospel forth so that some from every kindred and tongue and people and nation would obtain mercy. He would pass them by. But he would not utterly consume Israel. For verse 8, and we never got to verse 8, it speaks of a remnant according to election of grace under the imagery of a great cluster. And there are Jews today who are trusting in Christ. And God still has a purpose, I believe, for the nation of Israel. That's why they have been preserved. It's why they will be preserved, no matter the enemies that gather round about them. But the point is, sinner, for you tonight, the withholding of God's mercy is something that only not happens in eternity in hell, but it can happen in time. When God gives you up to your sin and He leaves you in an unrecoverable spiritual condition, that can happen. That's the Lord refraining, withholding His mercy from you, giving you up and over. I fear that can happen. I fear it may have happened. People, they can sit unmoved, unconcerned. Chat through a meeting, whatever it takes. It's an evidence, it can be an evidence that God has given them up. That mercy that was extended, that mercy that was outstretched, that the numerous entreaties that God had given to them, He gives them no more. Friend, tonight His arms of mercy are still outstretched. He still invites you to come. God can be merciful to you because of Jesus Christ. That's how He can withhold from you the wrath that you deserve because upon His blessed Son, He poured out His wrath for sin as Christ became the sin-bearer upon the tree. That's how God can withhold his wrath from you. That's how God can extend mercy to you because of what Jesus Christ has done. And by the shedding of his blood, you can know the forgiveness of your sin. However, if you will not repent, and if you will continue to disdain the mercy of God, then the mercy of God will be refrained. And the torrent of his wrath will be poured upon your soul. Hark, sinner, while God from on high doth entreat you. And warnings with accents of mercy doth blend. Give ear to his voice, lest in judgment 
he meet you, the harvest is passing. The summer of opportunity will someday end. Oh, that tonight you would obtain mercy. The Jew who have no formal identification or relationship with the Lord, that tonight in His mercy He would save you. That you would hear His call. That you would behold the Christ of the cross. And that you would disdain His mercy no longer. May God give you grace to come to Him. How up to date the Word of God is. You look at those marks of individuals, all the things that they did, how prevalent and evident is those marks in the people round about us today. But what about you, sinner? Are you the Lord's? Is His name upon you? Have you closed in with His offer of mercy? Let's bow in prayer. And please, let's take a moment and even as God's people, even after the, the last amen is said, be conscious. Be conscious that that's the time when God strives. And don't inadvertently distract or pluck away that anxious thought out of the soul of some troubled sinner. I make myself available to those who are here and who this night heard the call and want to be saved, well, I encourage you to come and speak in the minister's room. We'll open up the Word that you might behold Christ even afresh. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Word. Lord, you give it a number of weeks ago. Be mulling about in my heart and my mind. And my Lord, I pray that you will use your Word Oh, we thank Thee, we must thank Thee as Gentiles that the gospel has reached us, that Thy great plan to redeem a people from every nation has even been, Lord, a little bit fulfilled in us. Lord, we think of others who are not a people and who have not yet obtained mercy, that tonight they would obtain mercy, that You would speak to them, Lord, there's here individuals and the marks are here, the walk, the works, the words. It's evident that they still treat the mercy of God with contempt and spurn the invitation and the stretched out arm. Lord, draw them by thy great love. May they see that thou art in tenderness and with compassion, stretching out again and the gospel invitation for them to turn and to come unto thee. O Lord, we pray that thou will work, that thou will speak. We thank thee, Lord, for the relevance of your word. It's old yet ever new. How up to date it is. And Lord, we pray for a people who are marked with all these things, Lord that we see here in these people of Isaiah's day. Oh, Lord, we pray for mercy. We know we deserve judgment as a nation, as a people. But, oh, those streams of mercy never ceasing would flow upon our land once again. Lord, hear prayer. 
Strive on with sinners and bring them to a knowledge of thyself. Seek them out that they might seek thee. For this I ask in the Savior's precious and his worthy name. Amen.